Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I think the trend for the month of September podcasts will be remarkable athletes doing remarkable things because right after Trav's epic month of July, Alyssa Gadeski went and crushed three days in the Adirondacks and from the Ontario White that used to hike in the Adirondacks, who has hiked one of the 46 peaks that Alyssa ran, it was incredible to be a witness on, you know, the other side of the continent. So Alyssa, welcome to the show. I am so stoked that we get to riff. Steph, I'm super pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I just need to kick this off with all things Alyssa can be found online. We will hyperlink to Instagram and websites and also to other podcasts where you have shared this feat specifically in more detail because I listen to them. And for context for our friends, Alyssa is a dear friend who I stalk and I adore. And I couldn't get enough of your podcasts on this epic adventure. So those links will be provided so that you can go and get those details there. Specifically, a shout out to the Iron Women podcast that you did, your hosted show. This is going to be different. Are you ready? I think so, Steph. I never know if I'm really fully ready when I'm with you, but I'm as ready as I can be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think what people need to know, you also did a noon TV episode that was so phenomenal where you just spoke of your beautiful naivety to your first ultra run. And like, Alyssa just knows her way to a start line and it doesn't matter how long or how short. And so can you give us the quick synopsis of you've done how many ultras and how many Ironmans and how many what the fucks before you just completed three and a half epic days in the Adirondacks? Yeah. So I have done, I feel like this is that thing where people ask you how your how old your pets are. And you've just said your pet is like four years old every year. And then it's like 10 years later. And you keep saying that they're four because <laughs> I keep, I keep telling people I've done 33 Ironmans and 45 ultra marathons. And I'm pretty sure at least the ultra marathon number has gone up in the years since I've been like using that. I think the Ironman is probably give or take close within one or two. And then I have, well, now I have three fastest known times FKTs. So my first one was on Vermont's long trail, which is 273 miles long. The second one I actually got this year in training for the Adirondacks is just a quick 30 mile 50 K loop. That's kind of local to me that I did. So that one was just a, it was like a fun birthday adventure birthday. for me. Yes. And then the third one, of course, is the 46 high peaks in the Adirondack. So I'm, I'm clearly loving the FKT game, if you can tell. I love it. And I also just want to take note that you really have to be crazy to lose count of the number of Ironmans and Ultras that you've completed. You're like approximately... 35 plus or minus a couple. Well, and I think that give, you know, people are surprised when I don't know exact stats and figures from my racing in the last, I get a lot of questions about like my times and things like that. And honestly, those are very hard for me to remember because that's not, it's not why I do it. And it's not how I've measured my success in my like athletic career. So I think that's why that it's just kind of, you know, a background feature to me. And I know it's a lot and I know it's also because I started quite young and found it quite young. But, you know, I think when, yeah, my, my success hasn't been that 
it's been because I swam under an hour in an Ironman, you know, like those aren't the things that I remember. It's just that I've, I've, you know, kind of completed them in the bigger picture of some things. Well, that's the perfect segue because where I wanted, I mean, first of all, you're incredible. And we can just pause and say that that's amazing. And I think that you will be someone who, whenever you retire, you'll be able to look back with such a full cup of experiences versus I never broke nine hours. So therefore I was never a great Ironman athlete, which is obviously, as we know, totally not the case. So I love your approach. And the first place I wanted to dive into was actually earlier this year, we were both at the noon retreat in California when the worlds were open. And something that I was super inspired by during that weekend together was your approach to goal setting. And so you've done all of these things, yes. And you also have a really unique way of of setting goals and of going after them. And it sounds like, and also in finding fulfillment in whether you achieve or don't achieve things. So can you share a little bit about that with us, the Alyssa approach to goal setting? I think so. Part one to the Alyssa approach is something that everyone's heard, right? It's about like, you have to enjoy the process and enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm setting a goal, I'm definitely kind of mindful of the fact that like my Ironman goal or my trail running goal is going to require a, you know, consistent 5am alarm clocks and consistent weeks of being super, super tired and not having a lot of extra time and things like that. And so, you know, in that, that goal setting process, it's mindful of the fact that I need to be enjoying whatever is going to get me towards that goal. So that's like step one to be kind of realistic and to understand what it is that you're going after. And what that's going to take to get there and just doing like a mental self check of, am I going to enjoy that process? You know? And so I think that's an important part of it because yeah, if you're setting big goals and you have these big dreams, it's going to be a hard road to get there and success or failure at the end is like 50, 50 shot. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you can prepare a ton, but it's, it's still 50, 50. (laughs) And so you have to be, you know, but if you can look back and enjoy that process as hard as it could be, then perhaps even if, you know, that 50% of failure happens, you'll still be in a good place after mm-hmm. that. So I always kind of keep that in mind as, as like step one when I'm doing the goal setting process. And then another part of that is definitely trying to look at your ultimate goal of kind of where you want to be in life or what are the qualities you want to be developing as you do this and how is this going to help you be more happy with yourself, be more content with yourself, becoming the human that you want to be becoming, right? Um, And like you said, not necessarily chasing these arbitrary time goals because surprise, they are arbitrary, right? Like we've just all decided that a sub nine hour Ironman is what makes you fast, right? And like, But there's a lot of people out there who think sub 10 hours, who think sub 12 hours is really fast. And so you can't get hooked on these, like, I think that's the fastest, right? Because you're just, you are setting yourself up for more failure when you, when you look at it that way. Whereas if you look at it in the lens of what's a good goal to make sure I'm fit and healthy and, you know, running the fastest that I can run and racing the fastest that I can race and, you know, if you build your team around that kind of a goal and you have that process that you enjoy along with it, then I think it's more fulfilling in the end, whether or not that ultimate goal is success or failure, right? Mm -hmm. I think you 
you ultimately find more happiness along the way and you're becoming, you know, the human that you want to become, which is a better goal than just saying, or, you know, perhaps a more fulfilling goal, not necessarily better or worse, but fulfilling goal for like your inner self as a person. Mm. I think that's so beautifully said that it's not that we set a goal to become the person we want to become, but it's really what are the goals that will contribute to us becoming the human that we want to become. And part of the human experience is suffering. And we know that on a race course, we know that during tough times in, you know, many facets of life that suffering is, is an option and is a reality. (laughs) And I know that you it, it, or my experience of you, Alyssa, is that you relish in the suffering. It's like when it gets hardest is when Alyssa really starts breaking course records. <laughs> um, yet I want to know about your suffering in the process. And do you experience suffering in the process? You experience fatigue, but it's like, and then what? Or how do you hold a light or a vision in the process when you're, it's not about failure yet? That's a great question. I think that suffering when you enjoy what you're doing and when you enjoy the process, I don't think you ever think of it as like suffering. Right. And there are days that I look at back in my training where I was miserable. I was like on the verge of tears. I was, you know, sad, angry, all of these things that like, who knows because of just being tired. And you could certainly look at that and be like, man, she's like physically suffering to be getting, you know, physically training her body and suffering. But it's funny because to me, I'm like, no, it was just, I didn't have enough to eat. Like (laughs) I needed more calories, you know? And so, because I do like, I enjoy the training that goes into it. And so Mm -hmm. if I'm having a not enjoyable or not fun time, it's like, it's, you know, I, I don't look at it as suffering. I'd look at it as like, okay, this is hard and I'm not having fun, but I'm still doing what I've been choosing to do. Right. Mm. So I guess, yeah, like suffering, it's a part of it, but it's, it's something that I do try to do with a smile on my face (laughs) and to enjoy as much as I can, because it is, I mean, it's a choice to be doing that and it's sport. And I think I said this at the, the noon retreat in San Diego is that sports going to break your heart. Right. And so once you kind of realize that and you take a step back, then you can embrace that suffering as a day in the training and fuel up a little better, try and keep your emotions a little bit more stable and in check. But the highs and lows are definitely part of it. And I think through coaching, it's actually really given me a better sense of, of that suffering because I see it all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's, I don't want to say immature to be an athlete that is suffering all the time, but in a, a lot of ways it kind of is like as athletes mature in their career, I think they suffer to that extent of like really dramatic suffering less because they start to realize like sport isn't the end all be all of things and they've Mm -hmm. chosen to do it and it's a stepping stone to get them towards their goal. So we just, you know, put a smile on our face, put our head down and endure it and it, it passes. So, you know, as, as I'm kind of talking my way through it, I would say like seeing my athletes from the beginnings of their athletic careers, through towards maybe where they've developed, if they've kind of stayed with me, then it is like, I guess part of it is like, I kind of help that suffering factor go down, which is funny because I'm known as a very tough coach, I think. And I, you know, and I think I give athletes very difficult training plans, but 
I would feel comfortable betting that many of them would agree with that, that, you know, learning to quote suffer is about learning to not suffer mm. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I think of you, there's an Instagram post that you put out years ago with a shovel on a track. You remember when you went to shovel the snow out so that you could do a track workout? Uh, it doesn't snow very often where I live. And I think of that all the time. I'm like, it's raining. It's this. I'm like, Alyssa would be out with a shovel so that she could do her track run. And that to me, I mean, it sums up so much of who you are and your relationship with suffering, I think is so unique. And I hear you in a maturity factor and, and in sport being a choice. And it's been, you know, your chosen profession the ability to surround yourself with people that bring the suffering level down a notch with the intensity up two notches is also really unique to you. And I think your, your squad and you said it best that sport does break our hearts and there are other things in life that break our hearts too. And, you know, in the time of COVID people have lost their jobs. That might be heartbreaking. Races have been canceled. That might be heartbreaking. And at the end of the day, like we're still here and hopefully have our health and, have the choice to keep going. So full of Alyssa nuggets, truth bombs. I do want to riff on COVID and how COVID has impacted someone like yourself that's used to traveling the world and racing a ton. And I mean, I know that you also coach athletes that are racing a ton and we're going to put that on the side for a second. I just want to hear about your personal um, impact of and relationship with COVID. It's interesting because on one hand, it hasn't changed my life too much. You know, I'm very fortunate in that sense that I wasn't leading a very a life where I was like in public, I guess, and around people too much. You know, much of my communication with humans comes virtually. It's always been that way. And I, I do have some training partners, but for the most part, I also trained mostly independently. You know, I looked forward to like going to a pool and seeing some and stuff like that. And things like that have kind of changed. But to me, that's all felt pretty minor and around here like pools closed but then they reopened pretty quickly and you know there there just wasn't too much disruption I guess to my day-to-day -day life but the one thing I miss is traveling the world like I fiercely adore traveling and that was something I didn't know until I became a professional triathlete and I was using that as my catalyst to travel the world and that's a huge part of where I find my independence and to where like, I really enjoy the fact that, you know, I race so much that my family and friends can't come with me to a lot of races. And I really enjoy traveling solo, you know, and having that time where I have to figure out the, the, you know, travel plan and how to get there and speak the language and pretend to speak the language and all of that. And so not to say I don't enjoy traveling with family and friends too, but it's a major part of, you know, I think where I draw my independence from. And so that part has certainly lessened, but, you know, I think I'll be facing a little bit more of that in the coming months. I, I had my head really focused on the Adirondacks project and, and doing that. And so I was doing that before COVID happened and I was, mm. that was on my schedule regardless. So I haven't really had to face like the, okay, what's next. And then wanting to do these races in Europe and everywhere else and not be able to go. And mm. so I do think that's like an up and coming thing that I'll be a little bit more aware of to see, but I like road trips. I like camping. I like, you know, hiking and stuff. And so I do see everywhere that's around me. Like I live in the 
Blue Ridge Mountains, I have plenty of space, Lord knows, to get out and feel like I'm somewhere else. And so hopefully I'll embrace it, but I will miss like getting on a flight. I was telling someone just the other day, I love long haul flights. I love settling in with the little airplane blanket and eye mask that they give you and like turning on the plane movies and catching up on all these movies that I never got to the theater to see. So I miss that for sure. I love learning what people do on airplanes. It's like, I want to know morning routines. I want to know what you do on an airplane. Those things are so fascinating to me. And you're uh, the movie watcher. The all, all the movies, like binge, movies. like movie marathons, all of them. Yes. All of them. Love it. Okay. So you mentioned that the Adirondacks was on the schedule before COVID hit, which is a big deal. And I mean, context, you were out there for three days and 16 hours. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And you covered a lot of miles. 165 miles, like 165, yeah, miles. 165 miles. And when I converted that to Canadian, you were um, traveling 70 to 80 kilometers a day. Yeah, like that's double, right. Double marathoning. Yep. Yeah. Not to mention elevation, which was massive, of course, like 46 peaks in there. And you have riffed and shared, especially like I mentioned on the Iron Woman podcast, so beautifully the, that experience. And it's everyone must go listen to that episode. But I'm curious about the training that goes in. Like how many three-day training days did you do leading in? Or what does it look like to build to something like this? And I get that it's not new for you. So like you're like three days is nothing. It's yeah. still a crazy amount to a normal human. It's, you know, the training so interesting because – at first glance, I think it's like, oh, that's not that much. You know, it is for this. This was definitely, so yeah, it was like 165 miles and then 65,000 feet of vertical gain. And so that was a lot. And so then you kind of break that down and you're like, okay, well, how are you going to make that happen in record time? And so it's like, okay, then I have to be moving. Like you eventually kind of back in the pace I think I can hold and all that. And so it's like, okay, I have to be moving for 20 hours a day. And then I get four hours of rest. Then I do 20 hours a day and I get four hours of rest and then 20 hours a day, two hours of rest. And then I do, I, I finish. Right. And so more than like, you have to be super, I mean, you have to be very fit and strong. And so a lot of my training was just things that make you tired. Like it wasn't like I was out there doing 150 mile weeks. No, I wasn't out there running super fast. Like all of my miles were actually quite slow if anything. Although we probably did more speed work than ever in this last block just to, to like keep me in hopes of running faster, you know, near after, but a lot of hiking and a lot of hiking with a weighted vest. I mean, I'm coached by Hillary Biscay and it's funny because she is not known for her trail abilities. Like, you know, she is like, she will self-admittedly say she's terrible on the trails, but she is really good at figuring out how to make people tired and how to make them stronger and how to, you know, train someone to keep their body moving for 20 hours a day because that's things she has done. And so it, it is, it's like a mindset shift of not, I have to run X amount of miles or not run this fast or something like that. It's, I need to just wrap my head around the fact that for three and a half days, I am just moving, you know? And so it's things like, you know, outside of my training plan, even just being like, okay, I go to the grocery store and like walking around. And when you're normally like tired and want to keep your feet up and get groceries delivered, it's like, no, I'm going to go and practice like walking around when I'm super tired 
because at the end of the day, that's what the FKT is like, just going for a long walk in the woods when you're super tired in those last days. And so it's not this like monumental feat of training. And it's funny, like I I actually have an athlete out there right now. She's the woman who interviewed me on the Iron Women podcast episode. If you go and listen to that, Megan, she is one day away now, two days away. She has Friday and Saturday left to finish her hike of the high peaks in two weeks. And so doing it in two weeks means she's going to hike over 250 miles over those two weeks. So she, she did it like 156 miles in the first eight days. Right. And because, you know, logistically she has to hike more miles to come in and out of the woods every day to do it over a longer period of time. Whereas I just like cut a lot of that out to get there faster, but two weeks for an average human to do all of that is insane and she is she's a pharmacist she works a regular job she has you know a normal life and so by no means would someone look at Megan and say like superhuman athlete tons of athletic genetics and you know nothing like that and she I was actually just pulling up her athlete sheet from when she started working with me years and years ago and was kind of thinking about like what is it about Megan that sets her apart and you know and I was reading this and she says when I ask on the athlete, she like, what is her areas of strength? She says, I don't think anything is impossible. And I know I can complete any task. And she wrote that six years ago, you know, and it's like, damn, Megan, you nailed it. Like you, that is, that's it. Right. It's not, there's, you know, sure training that can make it more interesting and more kind of a little bit better in terms of things you can do, but that's not the secret. Like the secret Mm -hmm. is, is the mental side. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, it goes without saying that your, your mental fortitude is something that I'm sure athletes come to you for. I don't know that all of your athletes want to be ultra runners like you yet. I think all your athletes want to embrace the Alyssa guts and the Alyssa grit. That's like, you'll find a way you'll race on the borrowed bike when your bike doesn't show up at a race, you'll race with borrowed shoes if that's what's available. And you'll, hike in the woods for three and a half days and it's so incredible and it's great context to put toward the building blocks and like the steps day over day that it takes to just get to the start line of these things and you know I think it was in Hawaii last year you and I were out for a run I had the privilege of joining Alyssa on like a fraction of one of her runs where she was like we're bringing a knapsack and I'm going to run errands and I'm going to be running for five hours and you can pick which hour you want to join me on it was during that that we had a conversation I'm not sure if you'll remember it was about where do you where you seek or where you fill your inspiration cup up from and I'm super curious to know you know, where, where does that come from? How do you come up with your ideas and your adventures? And I know a lot of people look to you for inspiration. Who do you look to? Yeah, I think I'm always open to things, right? I think a lot of people hear about things and think I could never do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, for whatever reason, have the opposite problem. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I see things. I'm like, Oh, of course I could do that. You know, of course, if they could do it, I could do it. You know, like that's, It's a problem sometimes um, because I do, I just, you know, and that goes back to like my naivety in some sense of that I take on these things and I'm like, and it's not to say I look at someone and I'm like, okay, an Olympic, you know, 1500 meter, like I know there are limitations, but at the same time, you know, when I, I see something and I, it's like intriguing to me, I'm like, okay, like I don't write it off, you know? Mm. 
And sometimes things just sit in my brain and I kind of let them sit there until I feel like they've moved closer and closer to the front of my brain and I can't ignore it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but it's just, it's so, it's such a great time. It's such an awful time that we're living in stuff, but it's also such a great time. Mm -hmm. And because people are, they're sharing stories and telling things that would have never been told before in public settings. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is really inspirational to me, you know, like hearing just stories of everyday people who are doing these great things, I think is really cool. For the Adirondacks, I, I kind of found inspiration for sure in a place that I had never before for my events. I was, I was doing a fundraiser for um, the Payton Institute and Retreat for Writers of Color. And it's like, you know, I had never thought, you know, I have, I'm an Instagram account with like 5,000 followers. And I know that that's like great, but it's not, you know, it's not like a hundred thousand followers, that kind of thing. So I never thought of myself as someone who could have like a huge impact in a way. And then I saw this other guy, he did an FKT and he was like, you know what? The time that we're in, in this world is really tough. I'm going to do this and raise some money. And he like, you know, set a goal and then raised $12,000. And I was sitting there like, man, if Joe can raise $12,000, like I can raise a chunk of money, you know, like I can do it too. And so it's, again, it's like looking at, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Right. And so I, I did like, I, you know, got things rolling and we have like $7,000 to give this very small, you know, retreat that brings in writers of color to go right in the Adirondacks. And it's something they would have never like dreamed of having like be kind of input into them. So that kind of thing gets me motivated, you know, like mm-hmm. you just have to kind of draw it from, from everywhere and keep your eyes open and not rule things out for no particular reason, right? Believe mm-hmm. in yourself. And then I think with that kind of um, personality, things tend to just find me in a way, you know? <laughs> I and it's love cool, it. but I, I don't know how these things find me, but I just, that's what keeps me going for sure. And where like my inspiration's always, my cup is always full. Yeah. That's, it's so brilliant because what I just heard in that is that you see uh, what other people are doing and are inspired and you're like, why not me versus so many people be like, you know, it couldn't be me. And there's not one Avenue. It's like your cup is constantly full. Your brain is full. It's just a matter of like what file can get pushed to your (laughs) frontal cortex. And I think it's amazing because people then look at you and say, what can I do? Be it your athletes or other people in the world. And they're like, I can take a shot at this too. And I can go for it too. And it feels like now more than ever, you know, it's like COVID made me do this and what a cool thing and what a cool time um, if we are to find the goodness in this time in life. So I think there's, there's so much to relish from the Alyssa Gadeski way of life. Absolutely. Thanks, Steph. I hope it's like a feedback loop where it's like, you know, the, the inspiration just kind of, yeah, keeps bouncing off of, of one thing and then back and then, yeah, yeah. I, that's the way I like to think of it, I guess. I love it. It's like Alyssa will shovel the track so that you too can go out there and do your track workout right after. That Alyssa. actually came back to bite me too, because then I, another winter, like years later, it snowed and I had to shovel the track because I had set the precedence and there was like ice on the track and I couldn't get through with the shovel. And I was like, Uh, what? I was, it was rough. I had to drive an hour and a half South until it didn't snow. That was, that was like option B. 
I literally, I was like, okay, I'll just keep driving south until I get to a town that doesn't have snow and I find a track. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is what Alyssa will do. Like this just sums it up so perfectly. Yes. And this is how you have, you really renovate your relationship with suffering um, because <laughs> Alyssa will find joy in the process. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh gosh. Well, we are so over time. I super appreciate your time. Um, so much more will be in the show notes because I think that's where we can dive into the other nuggets, but I wanted to like off the record with Alyssa. And my last question as per always is what is currently making your heart beat faster? Well, Steph, we had some off the record chatting before this about our upcoming goals. And it seems that we both share this goal of running a sub three marathon. And I know I just talked the talk about not having these arbitrary time goals and blah, blah, blah. But you know, that is something I would love to do. And like, set a plan and go after. And we were just talking about it. We're going to, we're going to pick that date. And I think, I think we picked the date of December 6th. So we're like halfway there. We just need to train now. And we're going to, we're going to go after that sub three marathon. And that has me super excited because I've been, yeah, I've been looking for some training friends to get after this with. And you're the one timing is well, like perfect. You just fell out of the sky. I my fell out and, of the yeah, sky. This is great. You know, I just want people to know that in the world of what's possible or impossible. So I'm on the West coast. I'm currently living in a cabin in the mountains of British Columbia. And Alyssa is on the East coast and is an ultra runner. And, um, the idea that we have just become training buddies and now we'll race a marathon, like could seem impossible. And what I want you all to know is that it will happen. And we've decided whether we're showing up at a start line or we're going to pick a city and we'll need to enroll five other people from around North America. Um, this is a beautiful thing that with you, I have no doubt that we will tow this line and you will run in miles and I will run in kilometers and <laughs> the, the watches will be beeping every five minutes, like every other minute because we'll have our watches set on different things. Yes, yeah. That's amazing. Just, just project 259. So yeah, breaking three, here we go. Thank you for your time. You're super rad. Please never stop doing everything that you do. And I hope your frontal cortex gets reloaded with inspiration because I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you, Steph. So fun to chat. Thank you.